Welcome to Simply Making It Happen. I am your host, Brenda, and I am the owner of Morgan Monroe Consultancy, more affectionately known as MMAC. Yes, we changed the name of the podcast. Why? Because we needed to. It has always been our hashtag, Simply Making It Happen, because it is the focus and it is our goal and it is our mission for everything that we do here at Morgan Monroe Consultancy. And it is also the title of another project that will be debuting in September of 2020. So to keep everything streamlined, to keep everything consistent, the name change had to happen. It's still the same great material. We'll still be giving you the tea and we'll still be interviewing these great, wonderful entrepreneurs and business owners. So if you have a side hustle, if you have a vision and you just don't know how to get it started, Subscribe to this podcast. It's going to help you figure out your your why. And that's the most important part. Once you figure out the why, you will be more than inclined to simply make it happen. Thank you and enjoy the show. Success in your launch of your podcast. Ooh. So I want to leave it to you to 
Fast roll the truck. Snowboy. <laughs> My questions aren't that tough. I just realized I had a small gift for getting to the nitty gritty of whatever I wanted people to discuss with me. So people have found a comfort level of some kind with me with chatting and talking and you know, just giving us the tea on them internally. The first month has been awesome. I've had some great guests. Um, I've had community leaders. I've had um, high-ranking officials. I've had a little bit of everything. And pretty much what we're doing is trying to get out there and get to, you know, let everybody feel good that it's okay. If you got something you want to bring to life, if you have a vision or something, then do it because it's enough room out here for everybody. I, it gives me a chance to put a different voice out here and, you know, just, like I said, simply making it happen. It's enough space for everybody. So, so who have you had on? I've had on Colonel Gregory Clark. He is the FAMU National Alumni Association president. I've had Angie Nixon. She's currently running for Florida House. I think it's hers is 14. I have, a, I have another lady coming on. She's running for 15. Um, I've had the holistic stylings and creations of Stacey Smith. She is also my friend and business partner, and she is the owner of Sweet Naturals Holistics. I've had Danielle Harris. She is an IT and graphic designer. So me and her, from that one interview, we are now collaborating. And she's a photographer. We just did a, another photo shoot for me yesterday. Um, then Danielle Allen, she owns a boutique. Um, I've been following her for years before she even had a brick and mortar store. She was at the flea market and out the trunk of the car type thing. So to see her evolve to a standalone building that's her brand and her styling, then that was perfect for her to come on the show. Actually, her and Angie were my inaugural podcast. And I saved my big brother to end out the first month, say the best for last. Okay. Well, I've been paying attention. I've been listening. And I think they've been some great, a lot of um, informative information. And um, so I'm wishing you much success. Uh, I've, uh, I've been in this business. Now, I've watched it evolve. It's interesting because I remember when I worked uh, in television,
Woohoo! Good to know. I got it on the record. You heard him say it. I'm finna use it. <laughs> so this is this is your part of the show now. So yeah. like you're supposed to. I'm the guest. Little so Rick. let's get to it. <laughs> All righty. We have my big brother, Charles Griggs, who is my mentor. And I like to always tell people he's my personal photographer because he has this eye for photography, which I kind of. I don't do the picture taking, but I can tell people who have an eye. So, as a baby, I have my own personal photographer, and then he's grown and blossomed into his own right, doing his own thing, which was always his thing. And he's here with me today, and I'm excited. So, other than being my brother, what else kind of little background can we get? <laughs> well, how much background do you want? <laughs> <laughs> Not all the way back to Ethan Whitney. Shout out to Ethan Whitney, where Shout we grew up. up. But um, as far as like your learning, your training. Yeah. So um, I I started out as an artist. Mm-hmm. Many people who know me know that. And a lot of people who know me from the work I do now don't know that. So mm-hmm. I, when I graduated from high school, I actually went to art school. I attended the Art Institute of Fort Lauderdale. My, my intent then was to be an artist. I wanted to be in the creative space. I wanted to work at an advertising agency. And I wanted to be an art director. And I wanted to be a creative director. And I wanted to own my own agency. Right. All of which happened. Um, when I graduated, I was very difficult to find work. Um, in Jacksonville, I had this thing in my head that I wanted to work in Jacksonville. I wanted to come back to Jacksonville uh-huh. and be successful in the future. Many of my classmates took off. Excuse me, they took off and, and went to New York uh-huh. or they stayed in South Florida. Yep. Because that's where the opportunity was. Uh-huh. I felt like I could do this in Jacksonville. Uh, only to realize that Jacksonville void of black representation in the advertising industry. In fact, um, when people talk about racism, um, I often think about the moment where I went to a job interview with the second largest advertising agency here, uh, and the creative director walked out and looked at me in the lobby and told me that they don't hire black people there. Mm. And uh, so I knew at that point that I was going to have to make it a pass and make it on my own. So several years later, you know, that happened, and it wasn't long before I was self-employed with a business partner. Um, we had a, a medium-sized agency that ran for about 10 years. My first summer job. Yeah, your first summer job. <laughs> she slept in the desk. I answered the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we were the largest black-owned advertising PR firm in the state at one point. And um, big clients, uh, a lot of fun, and then the firm went away um, uh-huh. you know, about 10 years after we were working. And um, after, you know, I started as a consultant, but I started to do more writing at that time. And I picked up the PR side of the business. Uh-huh. And as I started writing more, I started um, interchanging, you know, exchanging more with politicians. And my writing became more of a political commentary, social and political commentary, which led to my television and radio, and um, that sort of expanded my um, uh, opportunity in the policy arena. I had to read up and I had to be more knowledgeable about policy, how right. governments work, you know, who's doing what, you know, who are the players, you know, who's, you know, who's trying to keep, keep politics from passing, and, 
and the impact it had on the black community. That experience and that opportunity and that knowledge led to um, opportunities with me expanding the consultant work, and then I ended up doing a similar job for the Department of Health. Okay. And I lasted for uh, a little more than 12 years or so. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as communications director and uh, director of external affairs. And I left there a little more than three years ago.
was that the why that made you go off into this tangent because pretty much both of us are in the service we have a service spirit i serve through the healthcare field you serve with your boots on the ground so how what was the why that pushed you to that side that's a good question well everything for me has always been um my foundation is built around my experience with, with our grandmother Mm-hmm. The mother of Reverend Sarah Jones. Yes. And uh, I know you were young, so you didn't really get all of it. You didn't get a lot of uh-uh. it. But for me, uh, when I was young, when I was very young, um, uh, you know, she pastored the church, and then she handed that over. But she never stopped leading the church. Uh-huh. Uh, we used to have church in the home. Uh-huh. You probably remember that. Yep. And funerals too. Yeah. So <laughs> all of that, all of that informed my foundation. Uh huh. And, and while our mother was a great mother, you know, she was a working mother. She, uh-huh. you know, she, worked. she had to. Yeah, she worked. So, but I spent most of my time with my grandmother and my friends in the neighborhood. And my why was because my grandmother operated um, from a position of pure love. Yeah, it was she just did. nothing. She got the house was community property. Everybody uh-huh. came over all the time, and and so nobody's troubles were too hard to manage. Uh-huh. There was always, you know, some type of biblical scriptorial yep. solution. Uh-huh. And um, I remember, and I was just telling uh, our mom this the other day, when we were talking last week, that I remember um, sleeping, actually sleeping in the bed until I was probably 15, 16 years old. I uh-huh. was there at night, you know. And whenever there was a problem, she always had a scripture for it. Yep. You know, that was, it, you know, whoa, you know, you, what what you mean? Uh, you know, somebody you know, bothered me on the job. Well, you need to. Yeah. Uh, and my mama did the same thing. I was like, I come home and she's like, okay, go, go read the scripture. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. So my why is because I know that we can do better. You know, mm-hmm. there's, and we can do that through our own, um, our own initiative, our own quality of life that we put upon ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, in, and in the professional world, you have to have some type of framework about your operations. You can't just roll around in the daytime, get up in the morning and just be. You have to have right. some type of vision for yourself, some mm-hmm. type of model. section in there where uh, George Bailey's dad um, they, George is going in to see his dad and there's a sign on the wall that says all you can take with you is that which you've given away and that's what I believe uh-huh. I mean, I, I, you know, all of this stuff that we do you know, everybody's crawling around every day and, and we become ants marching without a purpose Right. You know, but you know, none of this stuff is real. Uh-huh. You know, it's not. It's not real. It's it's just things that are real while we pass through. Uh-huh. So if that's the case, then the only thing you can um, is take with you is it, you, you can only is, is that what you do for others. Exactly. Now, now it's hard for people to understand that when you're dealing with policy. Yeah. When you and policy, what people don't understand about policy is that. Is that that's what shapes our our world every day? Uh-huh. You know, 
you know, the reason why we have a 40-hour, a five-day working week is because companies make it a policy. Exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. So companies could easily say, we no longer want to work 40 hours a week. We're mm -hmm. going to work, you know, 30 hours a week. We're mm -hmm. going to have a three-day work week. Right? Like and, and depending on what they accept as production standards, you know, mm -hmm. what, you know, their margin or whatever, wouldn't you want to work for someone who had, you know, say, hey, you know, what, you know what's more important? Your well-being. Exactly. You know. Mm -hmm. Now, people can choose to do that, but we don't because we take that for granted, mm -hmm. right? So when you're talking to people about how they go through their day mm -hmm. or what their why is, mm -hmm. they have, they, you know, you have to convince them and help them understand what, you know, what your needs are. Right. And if, and if you can't, if somebody doesn't relate to your needs in a way that is satisfactory to you, then you need to move on. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to take care, you have to have self-care. You know, you have to have self-care. You have to understand what it takes for you to be real. And and we don't, we don't do that. What we're, what we're driven by as a country, as a nation, is money. Right. Yeah. And that's an illusion. Exactly. It is. It's, it's an illusion. So if you look back to to how this country was created, it is because people wanted more money. Mm -hmm. you know, they wanted to get away from the land they were in because the king was taxing. They thought the king was taxing too much, and they thought they could come to this grant, this land, and make a better lives for themselves because they had opportunity right. to not no longer pay taxes into the government, thereby keeping the money for themselves. Mm -hmm. So, and, it, and, and on and on and on until it manifested what we have today. Mm -hmm. And then it's funny because I remember the things I do remember about our grandmother. I know that it was a lot of kids that she was parent to, but she never gave birth to any of them. And for her to take in, I think it was six or seven of them, seven kids that she never gave birth to, she never stepped foot on anybody's job. It was all through the community that she helped and that she raised. And then the children were on to do pretty much the same things in their lives. And the grandkids, us, and we all do the same thing and I guess that's why part of the reason why I started my company because there's a lot of black business owners out here or people that want to start a business but they don't know how mm -hmm. or they jump out here and do it backwards and then it ends up putting them in a financial deficit for something and or they do it the wrong way and they end up getting in trouble so I wanted to not do it specifically like you said most people do for the money but to be of service to help them because I've had, and you know, several <laughs> different side ventures that yeah. I just got tired of doing it for other people, like selling the makeup or this, that, or the other, mm -hmm. being the, making them money. So I wanted to show my people how you can make money for yourself, do it at your own pace and at your own speed, and keep it moving. But I always remembered that one thing about her. I said, how do you take all these kids and raise them as your own? And that it wasn't no going to child support court or you know, all the other, she just did it. And all of them turned out well, and their offsprings turned out well. So it, it's a pride thing, and I, I, I like that memory of her that I do have. Yeah, I was before you were born, um, you know, your church was called Sunshine Spiritual Church. Mm -hmm. And I remember there was this white box in the building that was basically a white box mm -hmm. right down on what was then called Florida Avenue, which is across the street from um, on Side Street right where Fresh Ministries is located right now. Uh -huh. And it's an empty lot there now, but I remember that little box, there was a 
white cinder block building next to the church. Uh-huh. And, yep. um, uh, and then, for whatever reason, the city condemned it, and we went back to the house. Uh-huh. So everybody who remembered the church went back to have, you know, yep. church in the house. And that was the spirit of, you know, this ain't going to stop us. Oh, yeah. You know, whatever was going on with that piece of property ain't going to stop us. We're going to continue, uh-huh. you know, on the mission. And um, I don't ever remember One thing I visually saw from a measurement group was, you know, all the barbershops, salons, everything was closed, and rent is being paid on some of these shops. So if you're closed, you can't pay the rent, and some of the people were evicted. I noticed that one particular nail shop that I used to go to, they they got closed. But when I saw the people that were in that shop in another shop, mm-hmm. once they reopened, I said, "Now see, that's how it's supposed to work." They literally reached out to their people and was like, hey, I heard your shop was closed. Come over here and work with us. Because they already knew once they did reopen, it was going to be more than enough for everybody, you know, to get there. And that's the spirit that we need to have instead of, oh, girl, I heard your shop closed. And and then let that be it. Yeah. It's, it's, (laughs) you see cartels. Oh, yeah. Like, the NFL is a cartel. Uh I mean, that's, just like you got 32 guys, uh, maybe two females, but 32 owners uh-huh. that no one else is doing what they do. Right. It's a closed, and, and so what is one for all and all for one. Uh-huh. And they make decisions based on that. Right? Uh-huh. 
um, you see um, other ethnicities have things like these. Uh-huh. Like they'll you know, they train people to show them how to work the thing. Um, they, they train them from the bottom of the bathroom, uh-huh. you know, to the uh, to the bank. And then they say, you know, they, they got their own store. Exactly. Um, you know, we don't have any of that going on. We got barber shops, uh-huh. beauty shops, corner car washes. Lawn services. Lawn services. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean there's not opportunity for economic development. Mm-hmm. But you just got to do it right. Exactly. You got to do it differently than you're doing. And otherwise, you know, you got to stop saying this is mine and feel like this is ours. Mm-hmm. You know, this is an opportunity for us to grow. And and then, um, you know, one of the things that's, that's been a challenge in this community is um, when large opportunities come, we're mm-hmm. not ready. Right. Right. We're, we're not ready. So mm-hmm. if, if the city's getting ready to spend um, a million dollars on a project mm-hmm. and they need to have a certain amount of minority participation, right. um, they say it's hard for them to find right. uh, qualified or people who can do what it is. Mm-hmm. We should be able to close that hole every single time. Yep. And, uh, and, that, and not let that be an excuse. Now, I think that excuse is bullshit. Talk, but we should be ready to call bullshit well, at the very beginning. Uh-huh. So, and, and prepare ourselves, even as we show if we have kids for college, right? And or get training, uh-huh. you know, whatever that training is, it needs to be for a purpose, right? Like we need more of you in this area. And when, when you get trained, we're gonna feed you right over. services and what you provide so uh, my services I do um, media and government relations and um, what that entails is for uh, if I have a client who has uh, typically they have a product or idea or a policy piece and they want to know how best to navigate the landscape of Accepting for that particular policy, mm-hmm. or sometimes they want to know is the policy written in a way that is, is going to do the most, it's going to right. you know, do help the most. Um, I consult with um, political candidates and campaigns, and I work with them on their policy platform. Mm-hmm. You know, if they, they may say that, hey, you know, I'm going to run for office and one of the things I'm interested in is criminal justice reform. Well, okay. I help refine that. You know, what, what does that mean, criminal justice reform? And so I'll help them refine what that messaging is. Um, I'll assist with, um, you know, with, 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 with um, media. You know, how they, you know, how they can best work with the media and trying to get that information out. Um, and I assist, I assist with community engagement. You know, um, we work with people on how to engage. Various cultural groups, uh-huh. not just black people, right. um, on how to help, how to get them involved in having a say uh-huh. in policy development. Because okay. what often happens is when somebody says, "Oh, you know, we think that's a good idea to have criminal justice reform. Let's do this," and they haven't even asked the people who were impacted <laughs> by criminal justice reform. Right. So what we'll, what I'll do is engage in uh, making sure. 
sure that those people are heard uh-huh. in a way that um, that can be uh, backed up and documented, backed up by data and evidence. Um, so when people are able to say that um, we don't believe you, figure out what type of impact uh, you know what type of impact asthma was having on the overall health of the community. Okay. And what was the root cause of that? Where was it coming from? What uh-huh. if is it bad, is it good? And then if it's bad, you know, how do you mitigate that? Uh-huh. And how do you keep that system, you know, how do you sustain any um, mitigation that's brought about? Um, and so I you know because you know I could see Things happening in front of me based upon the, the, the data that's put in front of me. You can right. actually feel it. You can say, hey, asthma is bad, it's worse on the north side. You could actually say, you know what? The data says that and it is absolutely correct. Uh-huh. Now, what do we do about that? And so the next step is to empower, use that information to empower um, individuals and organizations to do something about that. Right. That's, and that's how I got you know, sort of uh, passionate about it. See the difference you can make uh-huh. using the process uh-huh. to get things done. Yeah, and it, it works because I, I do a lot of research and I have to because in my industry I provide services and I have to stay on the up and up with what technology's out there, what's working for people. And like now I've gotten two clients because of contingency planning. The COVID 19 pretty much had them shut down per se. Now that we're I guess we are back out, <laughs> but now that everything is y'all open, back out. <laughs> now that things are starting to come open and abroad, you know, I had to remind them they were missing a lot of opportunity because while everybody was really in lockdown mode, you got more people online searching for stuff than at any other time you had before because they had nothing else to do. And I told them they were missing opportunities, so you have to stay on top of those trends and those plans. And I set some stuff in place for them to get them to get their visibility so they could you know, capitalize off this moment as opportunity and they would have missed out on a lot of income. Mm-hmm. They would have missed out on a lot of connections and, you know, just moving forward with their businesses because you, you got to stay on top of it and it takes a lot. You have to stay informed and I kind of appreciate the fact that you do that because sometimes looking at the data can get you a little bored and overwhelmed so you kind of got to... Yeah, and people don't really, I mean, they... When, sometimes when folks see the information laid out in a way that they can understand, they feel uh-huh. more comfortable about about getting behind it. You know, it's it's interesting because um, about this time last year, uh, many people in the community, in leadership roles, elected officials were, were saying that crime uh, they want to look at crime as a political issue, uh, which is what something that, that we have been saying uh-huh. for years. Uh-huh. Crime is a public health issue. Violence is preventable. But you have to understand what those deaths are. Now, here we are in, in 2020, and for the last three months we've been dealing with, or so, we've been dealing with COVID-19, coronavirus, and 
we know that this is a pandemic, right? It's right. an outbreak, and it is spreading. It has the potential to spread unchecked, uh-huh. right? So what did we see? We saw the federal government say, you know, a bunch of people losing their jobs because we're on lockdown, and a bunch of businesses going out of business because they can't, nobody can come to them. We are, we are hospitals that are that are. Yeah, that are, that are taking on too many patients. Uh-huh. So what we're going to do? We're going to provide stimulus money. We're going to inject money into the economy. We're going to fortify hospitals to, to do so they can keep people doing the work they're supposed to do. Uh-huh. Now, they responded uh-huh. to the tune of more than three trillion dollars, right? Yep. Locally, we saw millions of dollars being put out, uh-huh. right, to businesses, to individuals, uh-huh. you know, and then to businesses. To date, we've had about, uh, I guess, somewhere close to 50 deaths, uh-huh. right, from COVID-19 in Duval County as we record this. At, also, to date, we've had 73 homicides, which right. is 11 more than we had this time last year. And uh-huh. last year was the highest year we had on record in uh-huh. a while, right? Right. So, if we're treating um, crime, we're treating violent crime as a public health issue, why aren't we applying the same principles we did with COVID-19? Exactly. You know, we understand what the root cause of COVID-19 is. It is a highly infectious disease that came from here and went to there, and da, da 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 And we know exactly how to pinpoint the corners and do it. Social distancing, all these things are supposed to help mitigate that. Uh-huh. But violent crime, we also know what the uh-huh. root cause is. We know what that is. It yep. is a lack of investment into, in, in the community that is most impacted by violent crime. Uh-huh. You know, we did. And then when people say, these are the things you need to do in order to mitigate that, people say, it costs too much. Yeah. So the difference is, because one you know, looks like a public health issue, uh-huh. and the other one doesn't, uh-huh. although it is, because it's a virus. Yeah. Right? Crime is a disease. Yeah. So, that's where I come in in terms of policy to help make that connection mm-hmm. and help people understand that in order for you to see change, you have to make that a priority. Mm-hmm. You have to invest in that. You know, for whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's manpower, uh, I don't, you know, you have to invest in that. Mm-hmm. So. Awesome. Well, what can we expect to see from you in the future? Um. Yeah, we're we're um, we're going to be taking Urban and Shaw and your sister were present. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to be taking the podcast uh, in a different direction. Um, your nephew is the producer, Woo-hoo! and uh, he's in California, and so we've been talking about taking the podcast in a different direction. Uh, so we'll have people look out for that. Uh huh. Um, um, you know, me, myself, I'm going to continue. Us on um, policy. There's some personal things related to policy that I'm going to be um, championing. Um, it's watching the red. I served on the city's charter revision commission, uh-huh. which is something that happens every two years. There's a, a charge of the charter revision commission to make recommendations uh-huh. to the city council for charter change, okay. which is the, like the city's constitution. Uh-huh.
reason why that's important is because consolidation in Jacksonville uh, is the main culprit behind mm-hmm. neglect in the urban core. Right. And what we're hoping that this will do is start the clock on investing so we can mitig- not only mitigate mm-hmm. um, the effects uh, and the impacts of neglect from the urban core so from 15 plus years ago, mm-hmm. but we'll also prioritize the needs of that community. Now, there are certain, there are various projects going on within the urban core. Right. We believe that the Urban Core Development Authority would help to tie all of those things together mm-hmm. and build an overall strategy for investment and inclusion okay. into the urban core. So I'm looking to work on making sure that that gets um, through and um, and, and at the same time uh, see the process all the way through where we can finally see uh, some meaningful investment into the urban core and not just the outer edge of the town. Right, right. And we need it most definitely. I'm glad to hang out with you today. I'm glad to be here. What would you feed me for lunch? <laughs> You're that. You're my type. <laughs> oh, well, this is my big brother, Charles Briggs, and his producer, Charles Briggs. <laughs> we keeping it in the family, and we're simply making it happen. Thank you for stopping by. Thank you for having me. insight as to why I have a spirit of service and why I love doing what I do. I appreciate my big brother for stopping by. Podcast will air on my platform as well as his. Look him up, Real Talk with Charles Griggs. So thank you, big bro, for stopping by and take care of everyone else out there listening. We'll talk soon.